0: So in this video, I'm going to be answering the question, uh, what is being saved or forgiven? And what do I need to be saved or rescued from? At first glance, this might not seem all that fair. How could a loving God set such a high standard that no one could ever reach or attain? You might be thinking, hang on a minute, I'm not a bad person. Um, What? Why should I be concerned? I'm not sure that there is a God who casts judgment um, in this way, on me anyway. Hello, I'm Jordan and welcome to More Like Christ. I exist here to uh, try and engage and interact with people as much as possible and uh, that's by answering questions about faith, Christianity, Christians, uh, culture. Um, I don't want my content to be as, as relevant and as uh, engaging as possible. So if you have questions, puzzles, um, criticisms about Christians, Christianity, then I would love it if you would leave a comment on one of my videos or um, send me a direct message, however you're listening uh, to this episode. You can also go to my website, morelikechrist.co.uk, and uh, you can submit a questions form on there. That can be totally anonymous, so if you if you don't want to know, <laughs> if you don't want me to know or anyone else to know that you've asked that question, then feel free. You can go and do that. Um, so a little while ago, I received a question, and the question was, "Can I be sure that I'm hundred percent forgiven?" Um, and this is a great question, uh, but. I felt like I needed to take a bit of a step back, uh, backwards, and I needed to explain the context behind the question, uh, as I think that it is, um, and namely, what do I need to be forgiven for? Um, so before we get to, can I be 100% forgiven, we need to start with what, what can I be forgiven for? So in this video, I'm going to be answering the question, uh, what is being saved or forgiven? And what do I need to be saved or rescued from? And I'm going to be following up with a part two, um, which is if I am saved, can I be unsaved? Can I be 100% forgiven? Okay. So you may have heard Christians talk about um, being saved. And uh, I wonder what that means exactly. Um I guess before we go any further, we I should mention and I should say that we're, we're kind of working off a few assumptions here. So um, the first one is that we believe in a moral and um, a system of morals, um, actions, thoughts, words, which are either good or bad. Um, that's number one. Second, we're assuming that there is a possibility of life after death. Um, And for now, you can call that whatever you like, but that's assumption number two. And finally, because of those two, there is a standard that needs to be met um, that you need to attain so that after you die, you end up going to the good place if there is such thing as a good and a bad place, which I think that there is. So um, I may have served you a bit of time there. Um, if you're an atheist and don't believe in life after death, um, we need to have a different conversation <laughs> about what's the point in all of this. What's the point in life? Um, if we're just random accidents, there's no value in anything. Um, why aspire to be good? That would be my question for you, if that's if that's where you are. Um If there's no good and bad, if there's no life after death, if there's no meaning, we're all just matter, then uh, why try? (laughs) Um, And so there are two groups of people that I'm really looking to speak to in this episode. Um, And the first is that if you think that there could be more after death, but perhaps not really sure what that might look like, uh, or if you're interested to know um, more about this, where you might go, how to end up in the good place rather than the bad one, um, then um, this is for you. Uh, And the second group is uh, for Christians, uh, for the Christian who's searching for some deeper foundation um, on sin, salvation, help with general witness for the gospel. Uh, So if if you fall in either of these uh, cases, uh, and even if you don't, and you're just interested in a different perspective, uh, then Come with me, uh, we'll dive right in. So what is this being saved? Well, saved is, is just language really that Christians use to describe someone who's been um, forgiven and brought back to God. Um, when someone is saved, they're qualified to spend eternity in heaven and Um, are saved from the other option. So that's what people refer to. And the other option uh, is referred to as hell, um, which is eternal conscious punishment for what we have done in this life. Um, And you might think of saved uh, better stated as um, rescued, like, um, you know, if, if, if you're out in the middle of the ocean, uh, and uh, an air ambulance comes and picks you out of the water that's that's being rescued from a dire situation or or perhaps even ransomed that's a good word um, you know you, you think of a prisoner of war being exchanged on a bridge for some terms of payments um, or, or someone who's been kidnapped gets ransomed for a sum of money potentially um now I suppose you're going to ask what exactly do we need rescuing or ransoming from and uh, that's a good question um, but and to get to that answer I first want to talk a little bit about God and who God is uh, what he's like so God's being so infinite um is actually really hard for us to describe. Uh, and I, I don't think that human language can really grasp really what God is like, but he has given us ways to describe him by way of metaphors. Uh, anthropomorphisms is, um, is the technical word for that. So ways in which we can think of God in a, in a human way. And one of these metaphors is as a judge. Um, and so the perfect judge, got out the equation the perfect judge would be um ultimately and infinitely good so has not done anything wrong themselves um and they would be right they would be holy so they would be set apart that's kind of what holy means uh, completely set apart um and uh actually when we think of god as a judge God is actually the source of all these good things, and it's where all these good things come from, and where we see these good things in ourselves, actually that originates in God, because we are made in his image to reflect some of those good qualities. So think about this for a minute. When you see something terrible, horrible, um, when you see it happen, you feel injustice about it. You feel as though something should be done, or something should have been done at the time. To prevent it happening um you know Tasha and I were watching uh, an episode of the series Band of Brothers uh, the other day and we watched the episode where they they come across the concentration camps in Germany um and it's it, it's staggeringly shocking it's harrowing and um makes me cry when I watch it um but where where does that come from I've never been affected by the Holocaust. And as far as I'm aware, none of my family were affected. So why, other than feeling very sad when I watch it, why, why do I feel that like sense of anger about it? What, what, where does that come from? No one's taught that to me, that that, that just comes out. Um, it's just, it's just inside me somehow. Um, And God cares deeply about justice. Uh, God is perfectly just. We believe that God is the perfect being. So because he is just, he is perfectly just. Um, And because he is our creator, we are created by him and we are his creations. He is the one who has uh, set the standard of what is right and wrong. And he is the one who has the power to cast sentence on us, um, on his creations, you and me. And this will happen when we die. Um, Pretty terrifying. God will look at our lives with a list of everything that we've done, (laughs) said or thought, and he will measure us against his standard of rightness and holiness. And we will fall miserably short, um, every single one of us. And at first glance, this, this might not seem all that fair. Um, how could a loving God set such a high standard that no one could ever reach or attain? Um, and that's another really good point. It's a really good question. And um, God knew. God knew that we wouldn't be able to meet the standard. Um, but this wasn't sadistically to condemn us, to just do away with us. Um, actually, that's in place to make us humble um, and to show us that... We, we can't rely on ourselves. We have to rely on him as, as um, his creations. He wants us to rely on him and not on ourselves. And so he offers us a way to be rescued from the fate that awaits those who do not meet that standard, which is everyone. So he offers this way of being rescued and that's open to everyone. Initially, a long time ago, um, God uh, gave people laws, um, a moral code to abide by, um, ways in which uh, the bad things that we do could be wiped clean. Um, And this used to be in the form of um, religious ritual and uh, animal sacrifice. Um, and, And the idea behind a sacrifice is that someone takes something which is of value to them um and they kill that animal and symbolically things that we have done wrong have been laid upon this innocent animal and it's kind of a a substitution um and it's a symbolic thing uh, that we have taken something of value to us and we have laid our wrongdoing upon that thing so this is a way in which god would allow us to um get through the bad things that we've done um and this was done so that you know every time we did something wrong that would be chalked up against our name um and when the sacrifice was made that chalk that slate would be wiped clean and so we would be then deemed innocent um but um this this option didn't work and um even though god gave the laws graciously um the people who claimed to follow him failed. They didn't keep the law. uh, And actually, they started making laws for themselves. Uh, They thought that they had a better idea of what was um, what was right and wrong. So um, let's go back to where we took a little detour from. Uh, Why do we need rescuing or ransoming? uh, and What do we need rescuing from? And the answer to that question is the judgment of the judge God who who will eventually find us all guilty. So okay, you might be thinking, well, hang on a minute, I'm I'm not a bad person. Um, wh- why should I be concerned? I'm not sure that there is a God who casts judgment um, in this way on me anyway. Um, and I would say the first thing you need to ask yourself if that's if that's what you think is uh, where does your measure of good and bad come from? Um, what do you mean by a bad person? Um, and I would argue that you can't really get an idea of bad unless you have an idea of good. Um, you need good to assess what is not good, what is bad. And there's a very famous theologian called Augustine who said that bad is just good gone wrong. It's, um, something good that's been corrupted, uh, an analogy could be that like, how do you know that a line is crooked unless you know what a straight line looks like um so where does this straight line of the moral standard come from uh, one answer to this could be that society sets that and i think there would be many people who hold this uh hold this view uh, that society dictates what's good and bad behavior um but have you ever noticed that what is acceptable now uh, was perhaps not acceptable before? Um, and if you go back 20 years, there are things that are acceptable now that weren't acceptable then, and things that were acceptable then that are not now. And that's, a, that's only 20 years difference. Um, and the changeability in society doesn't really do that well for defining a standard of good because it's always changing. Uh, and it's subject to popular opinion at the time. Um, you know, if, if you took someone, let's go a bit further back, if you took someone in 1723 and <laughs> you judge them against the standards in 2023, there is a good chance that they would be doing stuff which would be not good now. And actually, if you take us back now, uh, 300 years, and they would probably judge you to be wrong (laughs) in the same way. Um, But can we be blamed? If you were to apply that standard to now or our standard to then, could they be blamed because we're in a different context? Um, No, probably not, because they were acting in accordance with what was good then. Um, And it's different now. But if you try and look at that over a longer period of time, a longer span, like, is it fair to judge people according to those different standards? Um, and is that m- level of good, it's, it's changeable. And it, so it doesn't seem just to me, <laughs> um, it doesn't seem fair that the standard changes as to what we're judged on, especially when we're talking about what could be eternal, um, a, a consequence which either ends you up in eternity in heaven or in hell. So, it causes some problems uh, when trying to to define a moral code. Um, Another school of philosophy would say that, you know, today what we have as good um, is whatever is the best for the greatest number of people, so that we survive. And not only survive, but continue to thrive. but again, there are issues with this because that definition is also subject to change. You know, we we have an idea today about what that is, but even in a week's time, someone could make a discovery and that could completely change. And someone's idea about what is the greatest good could be different next week than it is today. So you've, you've again, got that changing standard. Um, and in both these examples, the, uh, the societal um standard and the the greatest good theory um they're all subject to the person or people that make those standards um they are also subject to those laws and so they are not above that law they can't be a fair arbiter of that law because they themselves are subject to it um and they're also susceptible to corruption so who's to say that these people, um the the leaders aren't corrupt and have just decided that what is best for them They they have managed to spin that as to what is best for society and I think that's a very real possibility to be honest um what's good just for the elites the one percent um the bourgeoisie to to coin a phrase from times gone by but if you look inside yourself you know that there are things are just wrong you just know that they are you don't need anyone to tell you that they're wrong um we don't go around murdering each other (laughs) um and in the vast majority of cases we don't even go around assaulting each other not even verbally abusing each other um you don't cheat on your husband or wife girlfriend boyfriend, uh and we shouldn't lie we we just know that these things are not right um you know murder is murder is never okay um no, no matter how the murderer tries to justify that, it's it's never okay. Um, and let's uh, let let's try and contextualize that a bit. Let's you know let's fast forward a little bit to um, the presidential elections which are coming up in the US. Let's just say that um, Donald Trump is elected president again, and he becomes uh, president elect. Um, there may be some, and um, I'm not casting any political position here that think that if Trump becomes president again, that that is not the greatest good that will happen in America, perhaps even for the world. And um, that view may even be the view of the majority. <laughs> and so is it then right, if that if, if that eventuality isn't for the greater good of mankind, is it then right to assassinate Trump before he is then sworn in? Um, no, of course it's not. All right, to assassinate anyone, <laughs> and I hope I hope we agree on that. Um, again, if if we don't agree, then that's a that's another conversation we need to have. But I'm just going to assume from here on in that we agree that assassination is wrong all the time. <laughs> um, so there must be a set of moral laws that sit outside of human judgment, um, and these types of laws are called objective moral laws. Objectivity focuses on uh, what is true regardless of the person observing. And it's the difference between um, Jordan is sitting at his desk recording this episode, statement one, and Jordan is sitting at this desk recording this episode, and he is talking at just the right pace to be understandable. And only one of these statements is objectively true, objectively true. Um, The other is true for some, but not for others, because I am objectively sat here recording this episode, but I am subjectively speaking at the right pace, depending on the subject, you, rather than the object, which is me. So that's, that's the difference between subjective truth, which is dependent on whoever is looking at it, and the objective truth, which is defined by the truth itself. So your inbuilt, untaught sense of right and wrong are objective moral norms not set by society, which is subjective. So the golden question, which I'm sure is on the tip of your tongue, is where do these objective moral laws come from? And is that some higher being? is it some force of the universe some transcendent spiritual deity well uh yeah yeah i think it is and um i think his name is yahweh and we most often call him god i think that god is the source of these objective moral laws and they flow from his character they are his attributes and so he is the standard of what is good and bad um And from all history, and we look at any text which any religion has called sacred, there is no standard higher or that has been more influential in a positive sense than the words and the morals contained in the Bible, uh, which we believe are the words of God. So he has revealed himself through the Bible and his moral laws come through his words. So let's go back to the question about whether I am objectively a good person. Um, And let's have a look at a few of God's moral laws, and you can have a think about how you stand up to those. So number one, do not steal. Number two, do not commit adultery. And uh, the Bible tells us that even if we look at someone else with uh, a lustful intent, if we look at someone lustfully, we have committed adultery in our hearts. Um, number three, do not lie, and number four, do not be jealous of anyone else's property. Now, these are just four, four <laughs> of the Ten Commandments. Probably the most famous um, set of laws uh, that has ever been given. Uh, I think most people have heard of the Ten Commandments, um, and. How many of these can you say that you've never done? Do not steal, do not commit adultery, and that includes looking at someone lustfully. Do not lie and do not be jealous of someone else's property. Well, I don't know about you, <laughs> um, and you may be a whole lot better than me, but let me tell you that, according to this list, I am a lying, jealous, adulterous thief. And if I were to stand in front of the judge and ask to give a defence for my life and those charges, I would have nothing. I am guilty. Um, and this is the thing about justice. Let's let's look at justice for a minute. Um, some people have this idea that justice is um, like a scoreboard or, um, or a set of scales that... Um, so every time I do something good, I get a check in the good column, or I get a weight put on the good side of my scale. And every, th- every time I do something bad, I get a check on the bad side, or I get a weight in my bad side of the scales. Um, so And so as long as when I die, my good score, or the good side of my scale, is bigger than my bad side. So, you know, if you're looking at scales, my good side is weighing down a lot further than my bad side, I'll be fine. And I will end up going to the good place and I'll be okay. But I want to, I want to highlight two problems. I think that there are with this particular view of what justice is. Um, The first is that, All the bad things that I've done, do they go unpunished? Um, And let's say that I've been a good boy and on my scales, the good pot is much, much heavier than my bad pot. So St. Peter at the gates of heaven looks at my scale and says, "Yep, great, you're in. But on my scales, I still have a pot of bad things that I've done. But with this logic, when I die and go to heaven, this part is just forgiven. Like there's no there's no consequence. There's it's just shrugged off. It's kind of just disregarded. And all of these bad things that I've done are just yeah, disregarded. Um and I don't know whether this is truly actual justice. Um and what about if I'd reached my 70s, let's say, and I had been a proper wrong one my whole life, and then had some epiphany where I've realised just how evil I've been my whole life, the people I've hurt, and then a true and genuine remorse sets into me. Is it is it too late? Is it too late for me? Um, by this time my bad pot is on the floor <laughs> and my good pot is almost empty. Is there any going back or am I consigned to my fate? And how can I know, you know, what if this has happened earlier in my life, let's say, um, let's say I was in my 50s or in my 60s, and I'd spent several decades actually trying to make amends and doing good things to kind of counteract the bad things that I've done. Um, But let's say that I don't quite make it. I don't quite balance it off. And so are all those good things that I've done, is it all for nothing? I don't, I, yeah, I don't, um, I don't think that it works. I don't think that that is true justice. And um, I also think that the scale analogy, it doesn't really reflect true reality. And let me, let me give you an example. If you had been a law-abiding citizen your whole life, but on one occasion you're walking home and you walk past a dark alley where you happen to see a man uh, beating a woman down this dark alley. Now you run over, you you pick up anything that you can find as a weapon and you hit this guy over the head and you kill him. Now, will your law-abiding life count for anything when you're standing in the dock, charged with murder or manslaughter, whatever? Mm -hmm. No, it won't. You could have lived your whole life without contravening a single law. You could have broken not one single law in your life, but because of that one act, you are a murderer or a killer. You may have committed manslaughter, I don't know, whatever that outcome would be. So this is the second problem. This is how it works in human law. You know, you could be the best person in the world, but as soon as you've done something wrong, that you're guilty and you will be condemned for that. And you will serve a prison sentence potentially. Um, And if this is what it's like in human law, just how much more is it like that in God's law? God who is immovably just, immeasurably holy, who cannot tolerate one single ounce of sin in his presence, how how are you going to be okay? Um, and and this this is what we need rescuing from. It seems hopeless, um, because none of us none of us have met that standard, but there is an answer. And would you believe me if I said to you that it's as simple as believing and trusting in one man recorded in the Bible? And committing your life to living according to how he has taught us and asked us to live and this man's name is jesus in many ways jesus is very much not like us um he was god after all but in many ways he was just like us he was a man um, and so he was a human being just like you and me um but he was blameless completely faultless in every way the only human to have ever lived who did not deserve eternal punishment and who had never broken God's moral set of laws, and yet he died willingly in our place, so that he could give us the opportunity not to. So Jesus took your bad pot and he carried it away, and and all those things worthy of punishment, he took it on himself. And he took the punishment by being tortured. And he was killed in the most painful and degrading way imaginable. And we don't know exactly how this works, but he has promised us that he has taken our sin. He has dealt with it once and for all. So that sin, you know, when I said earlier about that sin, which goes unpunished, he has taken that and he has borne the punishment deserving of all of that, of everyone, everyone. You have the opportunity for that to be you, your bad stuff. Jesus will bear that for you. And Jesus is the judge. He holds your account he, and he has a record of every bad word, action or thought and the debt that you owe that you could not pay back, even if you had a thousand lifetimes. And he says, if you're willing to give up everything, And come and live for me, I will wipe out your debt. It won't disappear, I will pay your debt for you. There's nothing, nothing so bad that the power and the scale of my sacrifice for you cannot ransom. And you can go absolutely and totally free. And that is the promise and that is for you if you want that today. And this has been made possible because Jesus was not just a man, he was also God. He can stand in the dock as a man and sit in the seat of judgment like the judge. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy the requirements. Um, You know, I mentioned earlier the, the, the animal sacrifice. The idea of that was you took a lamb that was spotless. There was nothing wrong with it, no blemish. You killed the lamb. And your sin was transferred to the spotless lamb. And I hope you can see uh, that kind of that imagery, <laughs> um, the way that that plays forward. And so Jesus has become the sacrificial lamb, symbolically, but actually physically. So that, that's why we don't sacrifice animals anymore, because Jesus has done that work. Nothing more needs to be done. He has done it perfectly. Um, and the only thing, For us to do is to believe in Him, leave our old lives behind, make Him the Lord and Master of our lives, and put your trust in Him. You will be forgiven, you will be saved, and this is a gift for you today. As I said at the beginning, I'm going to be making a follow-up video to this, um, all about if I've if I've been saved, if I've been forgiven, but I'm I'm still doing bad stuff. I I still mess up from time to time. Uh, can I can I lose my forgiveness? Can I be unsaved? And that's what I want to talk about next time. Uh, when I've published that video, I'll post a link to it in this one. You'll see a tile come up at the end, uh, so you can go and hop straight on to that one. But Until next time, let's all try and be a bit more like Christ.